Again, with uh, part three of Christian witches, Christian mysticism equals paganism. So this is a third part of our currently three-part series, and we've got Dave Van Bever. Instead of being in the studio, he's again at his home, and we got Tim Carter also on the line with the Google Hangouts. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing good. Man, I am doing great. I'm so glad to be able to visit with you all. Thank you, Adam, for hosting us. and. And uh, really excited to uh, to dive into this. I think we've got some really good stuff here, and uh, can't wait to uh, to get to deal with it. How's that? Oh yeah, so. yeah. So um, so anyway, um, with the past uh, few episodes, we have been dealing um, with the um, really in particular Christian witches, um, Tim, and you know us. We've brought in sort of those uh, general um, mystical principles um, when we're talking about, like, say, Bethel Church and and other things, but uh, so with these, but we have really just spent with that particular time in the witches department with uh, with uh, who we're talking about, uh, Valerie um, Love. And so tonight, um, we, we so last week we hit her creed that she had written. Now we're going to deal with a video, um, which is shared in the comments. Um, if you guys see that video, you guys can save that and uh, watch it for yourselves later. Um, but uh, this is the video that we'll be dealing with tonight. So is there any uh, precursors or preliminaries that uh, Dave or Tim um, that you'd like to mention before we uh, take on this video? So yeah, let me jump in real quick. Uh, just want to remind everyone that next week we have our debate yes. that we're going to be hosting. And that is really important uh, that people jump in on that debate there concerning open or closed Lord's Supper. We've worked hard on it. And of course, we have Tristan Cottinger, and of course, uh, we have John Hawkins, and so it's going to be a great thing. So, sorry, I know that that's uh, not 100% uh, what you might have thought, but I uh, wanted to make sure that we got that out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got to yeah, take care of that housekeeping. We'll, uh, again, remind everybody at the end of the show um, those uh, future things that are coming up. But yeah, I just didn't know if there was anything um, that you guys wanted to hit up um, before we get into the video. Um, anything that uh, your thoughts before we get into this? Tim, if you don't have anything, I do have something, but I don't want to cut you off because you've done a lot of fun on this that I haven't. I'll let you go ahead and then I'll, I'll jump in afterwards. Yeah, so it's imperative that people understand why we're actually dealing with Valerie Love. Uh, she has like four, 45,000 uh, YouTube subscribers. She's hosting this massive conference. She seems to be a massive ringleader in this movement. And so we're going after the person that we believe is the probably the head of this whole thing. 
And so we want to directly address her biblically, theologically, and we want to correct her because that's what we're called to do. And this is a great example of how you do that. And that's exactly what we're wanting to do. And that's what we want to accomplish today. Yeah, I would, I would uh, agree with Dave, too. One thing to remember, you know, as we cover this topic, um, it can be really easy to kind of hear what we're saying and just go out and, like, try to engage uh, maybe somebody that's caught up in this. Uh, you know, I just caution, you know, take some time and and, and really try to understand what, uh, one, what Scripture says, and two, who you're talking to. Um, because... In instances like this, um, especially with mysticism in general, you're not going to get the same belief system uh, or even set a set of uh, facts from each person. Uh, while you, there might be similarities between them, uh, there there's a lot of differences because the, the system allows for it. So, you know, just word of caution, you know, as you begin, if you know somebody that's kind of involved in this type of stuff, uh, take time to really find out who they are and where they're at and, and strive to meet them there with the gospel and not just kind of start spouting off stuff that, you know, maybe we've said or you've heard. Um, just kind of a, a word of caution there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, just to add to that, uh, if you're dealing with anybody like this, um, you know, just like with the Mormons, you don't deal with a, and start talking about their underwear um, you don't talk about, um, like say with witches, you know, you don't talk about uh, wands, you don't talk about this stuff. You, you really need to be like, how do you know what you know? Where are you getting your information from? Because really, um, the cool thing is, since we've been, you know, we're a presuppositional um you know, approach uh, podcast and, and people, um, we need to deal with those presuppositions. Who has authority to say, um, say in this situation, who you are? Um, who has revealed uh, how we coming to this knowledge. We see um, really within mysticism in general, just uh, we can find contradiction after contradiction and they're, they're fine living in contradiction um, or they don't see it. And so instead of speaking to those little peripheral things that they do, you need to, how, what do they know about God and how can you correct them? And what do you have? You have the God who has spoken versus them coming um, trying to figure out things on their own. Cause that's something that the Christian God, the God that was revealed, um, you know, John, the very opening chapter of John is this Christ has revealed the father. And so if you have Christ, you have the father. If you believe in Christ, but don't believe in the father, that's a contradiction as far as Christianity goes. So attack the arguments, um, fill it, fill it in with the real gospel, fill it in with the real truth of it. And that's how we attack. So that's basically, I think, what our approach is. And this is what we're going to discuss tonight in the video. So um, if you guys are ready, I'm ready. Um, we can start uh, playing the video. Is that cool? Yep. yep. That is awesome. Yep. And since I'm the one at the helm of the controls, you just tell me when to stop and I will stop. Hey loves, I figured I would shoot this video from back here because I got on some fly earrings today. <laughs> and I wanted to show off these fly earrings while we talk, while we have our chat. So this is what we're going to have a chat about. And the chat we're going to have about now is about your naming power. Your naming power. I want to stop and right there. here's what I mean. I want to make it really clear what the goal that she sets out to do. She is going to make this video about someone's naming power. Mm -hmm. So she needs to define what naming power means and where in scripture, if she's going to be a Christian, 
where in scripture we get this concept from. If you cannot name it in scripture where this comes from, then you can't call it Christian because it's not in scripture. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I just want to make it really clear that if she's claiming to be a Christian, and if she's saying that this is a Christian thing, then we should probably be able to find some scripture that would mention a naming power or something like that, or give us a biblical foundation for what she is doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, basically, again, we're on authorities. Um, you have naming power. This is the presupposition. You have naming power. If she does, yeah, if she, again, if she doesn't uh, have anything to justify the claim that you have naming power, then it is an axiom she is using, something that is unprovable that she has to then um, act out of. But, you know, the thing that we need to understand is um, we need to hit her on this. What is naming power, as Dave said? Yeah. And here's why we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation because I get a lot on um, on the YouTube channel um, from Christians saying, you need to be a Christian witch? How are you going to do that? You know, I, I've seen that comment more times than I can even count. And that's my own consciousness and where I remember being when I was having my whole experience about, you can't be a Christian and a witch? How are you going to do that, boo? That, them two don't even match. You know, actually they match very well. It's like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, Christ. Okay, stop right there. It's like peanut butter and if she is making the claim that this is something that matches really well, then the very first thing she should be able to do is go to scripture and demonstrate to us where these two patterns can be consistent. Mm -hmm. Give us at least a biblical foundation because you cannot have Christianity without the very presupposition that God has spoken and made himself clear. All of our understandings of every doctrine is based upon what scripture says. So if you're going to say one can be a Christian witch, then either one, you need to demonstrate to us where in scripture it says that there is a Christian witch, or you need to demonstrate some scripture that would somehow imply that you have the ability to define this category. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Jelly. It really is. It's like ham and eggs. It's like, you know, um, I don't know, scotch and, and, and orange juice. What, what do people drink? I don't know. But anyway, it goes together very well. And here's why. The other day I was reading St. Germain on alchemy. So here's the uh, first thing that I've got to say is, okay, so she's going to, uh, Dave just said, okay, where is it? Where is it? Now she's going to talk about uh, St. Germain. Um, I looked up St. Germain. Um, there was a St. Germain in Catholic history, but that's not the one that she's uh, appealing to. She's actually appealing to somebody that is believed to be... Um, an incarnatable person. So it's not just a person that's, uh, um, has once incarnated from the divine, like, you know, what we'd say Christ. It's somebody, um, who was around, um, say 70,000 years ago in this, uh, Valley of the Sun. We're talking about the myth of Atlantis and all that kind of stuff. And this person has moved, um, as a time ghost almost, uh, throughout time. And it's claimed that, uh, this same person incarnated in even to be Samuel, um, and then, uh, Joseph, the father, the earthly father of, of, uh, Jesus and a bunch of other people. So if you go and look up St. Germain, um, this is the person that, uh, she is, um, using as a source for what she's about to say about, uh, how this all fits together. So here's, you know, where she's going to say how Christianity and witches, 
um, can live together um, consistently. So she didn't name anything in the scriptures yet. She goes straight to this St. Germain, um, what he wrote on alchemy. And I'd have to question, did he even write it? Because they are even claiming that um, if you go around from what I've studied, is they they're even claiming that uh, an arcade an incarnation of this saint uh, Germain was actually the writer of William Shakespeare's plays. Um, there's a lot of people just uh, trying to find stuff and uh, put it on this uh, Saint Germain person. I don't know if anybody if, you, if any of you guys had studied anything on on this guy. No, but it's 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 very odd to me that she would first of all grab an individual who is a, a saint that has such a, a skewed historical reliability for this person mm -hmm. even existing, right? Yeah. Further, alchemy is not a science. It is, again, it's not some proven thing. And anyone would listen to alchemy and think of it as some type of craziness, not as some reality that exists in any sense uh, of the word. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm suspect all over the place oh, yeah. <laughs> in other words alchemy and I, and I would get that book St. Germain on alchemy alchemy is the transmutation transformation of the soul there's the physical alchemy that changes base metal into gold there's the spiritual alchemy that changes the base nature of the human into the gold of the spirit Okay. Where is that in scripture? I want to know where that is in scripture. Could you give me a piece of scripture that says anything about alchemy or uses that type of analogy from alchemy changing the spiritual nature of the soul of someone to gold? Yeah, yeah. So we're here on... Oh, yeah, yeah, Tim, I was going to ask you, you know, about... Because the, there's, there's a general um, use of this idea, isn't there, within mysticism, right? Yeah, so, you know, basically what she's saying is, you know, she has the power or the ability to refine her own soul uh, through these different acts of spiritual practices, um, rituals, uh, whatever, whatever she does. Um, and, you know, that runs counter to what scripture says that our sanctification uh, which is, you know, that our, our kind of earthly transformation, if you want to call that, where we become more like Christ, um, happens through the study of Scripture, as Jesus says in John 7, that we're sanctified by the truth, and God's Word is truth. And uh, it's through that study of Scripture that we can transform our minds, renew our minds, and uh, become more like Christ. But one, you notice that all of that is absent in her explanation here. Um, she talks about uh, changing different metals to gold, and then, you know, transforming the soul to gold and, you know, whatever that means, uh, becoming divine, whatever you want to insert in there. Um, and there's no mention um, of becoming more like Christ. It's, it's being a better you almost. It's, it's, it's coming into your divine, uh, own divine self. And, and, you know, that goes right in hand in hand with mysticism. You know, mysticism in a general sense is about becoming one with the divine. Um, it's about essentially becoming God, uh, very pantheistic, because if, if I become uh, a part of the divine and so can my neighbor, then there can't be just one God because it would just be me. So then I have to adopt this idea that, you know, God's in everything um, and it creates a problem. But you can see how how different it is from from scripture uh, 
as she explains this this transformation but that's something you see within mysticism once you start looking inside yourself for truth or you know even taking it upon yourself to change yourself uh, and not allowing God to work in the ways he's ordained through scripture to change an individual um, you end up in a whole different realm of ideas and and practices that lead you farther away from God not closer to him mm-hmm and this is, you yeah. know, this is the unique, the unique nature of Christianity. Again, um, unfortunately, there are teachings um, within um, that I, that I would within Christianity, or at least closer Christianity, that um, we would uh, still um, debate. Uh, that I believe the logical conclusions um, would kind of lead to the same effect. But the unit, the the uh, the uniqueness of christianity is the fact that you can't do anything the fact that you are a sinner the you were mankind was created good god called it good man sinned and now god is on a mission to save people and he did it through jesus christ and he is going to call the people to himself and it's all a work of god the people that come to the light see that the work is done in God. And so that's the unique unique thing about Christianity. The thing is about any other belief system, it believes that man can work up to the divine um, and not the divine working all things um, for his glory, um, us being benefactors. But every other system, uh, it puts man in the place of God. Dave, were you about to say something? No, I think you hit it right on. Um, I think this massive idea that is based on a non-Christian synergistic mentality is what probably draws people to uh, this Christian, uh, air quote, Christian witchery, is that you have more power here. You can do these spells. It's all about me, a very self-centered idea. And that is something that people are going to gravitate towards. But there's no difference between that, really, and uh, in my mind, and much of what we see in the uh, name it, claim it um, type of gospel. Um, and uh, that is one of the things that's very striking to me. Uh, and that's where you see this massive, what I would say, uh, this massive intersection. And Tim will probably be able to give us more about this Christian mysticism and Christian witchcraft uh, being one of the same. And of course, disguising themselves in different ways. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point. You know, the, the name of Christ, uh, whether she says Christ or Jesus or, you know, even claims God or claims to be a Christian, uh, those phrases and the use of, of the terminology are merely uh, additions to a formula that she is trying to work up an incantation with. Um, she doesn't really have a relationship with God. She doesn't really want a relationship with God. She's using uh, the name of God uh, to bring what she wants to herself and, and you hit it right on the head. You know, it's no different than the name and claim at prosperity gospel that says, you know, claim the name of Jesus and, and you'll get what you want. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing uh, a lot there, but you know, sow a dollar and get 10 more. Um, those are not much different where you are taking and, and trying to manipulate reality uh, to provide you with the, outcome that you want um 
and at the same time using scripture and using uh, Jesus as an addition to that formula to somehow bless it and get what you want. Uh, so you hit it right on the head. You know, there's not a lot of difference between witchcraft and the name it claim it um, type of things that we have seen uh, more in uh, what we would call mainline Christianity. Mm-hmm. Through alchemy, spiritual alchemy. So I was reading that book about alchemy and spiritual alchemy, and I got to the page, and I'll show you this in, a, in another video. I got to the page where there was um, an artist. He had drawn a depiction of Saint Germain, and he also had drawn a depiction, a drawing of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing that he said about Jesus Christ. This particular artist that drew this picture of Jesus Christ, he said Jesus came to him every night at the same time, two o'clock in the morning. So I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to jump in here, um, with these visitations. Um, as we kind of progress through this, I know we're going to reach out. Uh, I might be throwing a spoiler out there, but we're going to be reaching out uh, outside of this witchcraft and, and moving more to a general sense later down the road. And mm-hmm. you're going to see these visitations uh, come up a lot. And a lot of times, you know, it might be Jesus. It might be, quote unquote, the Holy Spirit. Um, it might be an angel. But these visitations are very common uh, with this mystical mindset, uh, very common in the New Age movement. Uh, and uh, you're going to see that crop up over and over again. Yeah, and I mean, Something- oh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, whenever we again consider Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith saw. I mean, depending on uh, what version of the uh, first vision you read, because historically there's some uh, differences. Um, but, you know, in the one that uh, they have selected as the first vision that is canon, I guess, to them, um, he saw Jesus. He saw the Father. He was visited by an angel. Um, we know uh, that Paul has said that if an angel or if Paul or himself or an angel were to come and speak a different gospel than one he has already preached to them is to be anathema. So this is something that we've really got to consider um, knowing what the gospel truly is as it was preached um, by the apostles and uh, know that if we do get a visitor, um, we still have to believe in the demonic and that uh, we can get visited by something and that it could be real um, but again, we have a standard by which to judge um, what is really good and what is really wrong. Right. And one thing, you know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So, you know, a, a demonic visitation, uh, you would half expect it to look beautiful and like an angel, because why would I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm kind of jumping around, you know. In speculation, but why would a why would a demon appear to you looking like some evil thing if he wants to deceive you? Um, and uh, you know it takes a lot of discernment uh, and really a commitment to scripture and, and weighing and measuring everything at scripture uh, and subjecting our experience to scripture uh, and not the other way around. That's another issue with mysticism is uh, our subjective experiences when when it comes to mysticism are elevated above objective truth. So you can justify things that aren't justified in scripture because your experience trumps what scripture says uh, because you experienced it and you know it better than the scripture does essentially. Yeah. Hey, he appeared to him in the middle of the night 
and we call it the middle of the night. Let's talk about that period in the nighttime when it's very powerful to, to pray. So if we go to the Gospels, we read that many times at the third watch of the night or the fourth watch of the night, Christ withdrew from people, from the humble world, right there. from stuff. Yeah. That was no. Christ is not going in the fourth watch of the night over and over and over again. No. Uh, this is not something that happens all that frequently. Uh, just to be real clear, uh, Matthew, of course, it says that he was walking on the sea at the fourth watch of the night. But that was just a simple look that, that I am just doing a Google search on the third watch of the night mentioned in Scripture. No, it says early in the morning in Luke that he got up. It makes it clear in Mark that he went early in the morning. And so to say that Jesus was always going at the third watch of the night is, is just absolutely absurd. Yeah, Again, yeah. providing no scriptural background for this. Yeah, uh, she defines it by, no understanding. here in just a minute, she'll define that uh, by like three o'clock in the morning. Um, and she'll say um, <clears throat> that there is a special spiritual activity at this time. And again, I'd have to be like, provide proof so but she's about ready to say that so we can get to that we're get, i'm getting ahead of ourselves a little bit sorry oh you're fine going on around him for what reason to go to a private place to pray so if you read and you look through the scriptures which i did that once i was i was married at the time i'm divorced now but yeah. <laughs> and I, I shared with my husband that I was, I was in my ministerial process of training and, and a lot was going on a lot was going on and so if you're a minister and you read it once, and it's important to you, why not give, you know, if you're going to preach to people, if you're going to use this as something to base, you know, have your belief in, and then base your practices on, isn't this something that you want to give the spirit, the, the scriptural proof right now, exegete scripture, expound on it, and give your people, feed your sheep, if you're going to, because Christ himself told Peter, feed my sheep. This is the, if you're thinking that you're a minister, even though you're not, even by the standards of scripture, um, in many ways, uh, the, the thing is, is wouldn't she want to provide instead of just toss it off as a notion, you know, she's using this video to tell you something, to preach to you something, to give you something. And if she's not going to, if she's going to paraphrase scriptures horribly um, and, and not give that to you, I mean, what is, what kind of minister is this? My soul wanted to wake up at four o'clock in the morning every morning to commune to be with God to go through my practices that that I was given to develop and train for ministry. When I made that stand and I said yes, I'll do it. Tremendous resistance. I'll picture itself in the form of my husband saying, "What now?" <laughs> Let me give you a little more background to this story. So the person I was married to at the time, my healing partner at the time, love him, love him, love him. He's wonderful. My healing partner at the time was the kind of person that liked to stay up late. He was a night owl. Just going to point this out real quick. Uh, she has now, of course, disqualified herself as being an elder pastor. According so to just scripture to make that really clear. Alone. Yeah, according to scripture yes. alone. Um, uh, if, scripture, if yeah. Yeah. Well, she's also a woman. Yeah. Well, yes. Like said, so, of course, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, so. verse 11 to 12 would disqualify her. But uh, further, First Timothy chapter three, verses two and four, and Titus one six. There you go. There's some pieces of scripture that she has now disqualified herself from being an elder. So sorry, just wanted to make sure I threw that in. Yeah. 
until I had maybe the third, my third child, and then I wasn't a night owl anymore, I was an early bird. So somewhere along my life, I shifted from being a night owl to being an early bird. So I wake up very early in the mornings now, 4 o'clock. This morning I was up at 4 o'clock. I did go back to sleep. <laughs> After coaching for a few hours, I went back to sleep, got an hour, woke back up, so I could shoot some video. Um, so anyway, and being this early bird, I learned that 3, 4 o'clock in the morning is what you could call the witching hour. The witching hour. What does that mean? And is that in scripture anywhere? I just want to know where in scripture it is ever called the witching hour. By anyone in scripture, is it ever mentioned in that way? This is a non-Christian term that has now been imported into, uh, it's not even a Christian idea that she has now hijacked and imported into, well, I was having a special time with the Lord. So just wanted to throw that out there as well. Yeah. There's a lot of power at that time in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. One time I was being coached. I know I'm kind of all over the place in this video. I'm doing a stream of consciousness. is just flowing to me. So I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so I was being coached and I had a consequence if I didn't do something that I was supposed to do. And the consequence, one of the consequences was to walk, take a walk outside at 3 a.m. And I did not want that consequence. So what do you think I did? I drew that consequence right to me. I didn't do something I was supposed to do. I did not honor some commitment I was supposed to honor as I was supposed to. And so therefore I had to pay the consequence. The consequence was walk outside at 3 a.m. So this particular night, I know that this night, when, when I'm going to get ready... Not even a Christian concept of consequences being like that. Mm -hmm. That is exceptionally non-Christian. Yeah, this that is, is complete superstition. That uh, yeah. the gospel, especially in Acts and Lystra, <laughs> of all places, too, um, kind of getting spoken into. So I want to add something on on the whole wishing hour here. Yeah. And uh, I just... I'm Google. I googled it here while we're kind of listening to this, and so I'm getting this from Wikipedia. So take it as it is. Uh, <laughs> so, but the witching hour—it's it's really interesting. Uh, kind of the uh, where the terminology came from. Uh, I'll, I'll read this quick paragraph. I just want to throw this in there because I thought it was uh, somewhat pertinent to the discussion at hand. But it says in in folklore, the witching hour or the devil's hour, as it's also called, is a time of night associated with supernatural events. Creatures such as witches, demons, and ghosts are thought to appear and to be at their most powerful. Black magic is thought to be most effective at this time. And in Western Christian tradition, the hours between 3 and 4 a.m. was considered a period of peak supernatural activity due to the absence of prayers and the canonical hours during this period. Women caught outside without sufficient reason during this time were sometimes executed on, supersti on superstition or su suspicion of witchcraft. The phrase witching hour was first recorded in 1835. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. Uh, you know, you do see it pop up in uh, some Christian tr tradition, it looks like, but it's nothing that we see in scripture. Um, and all references to it outside of what she's saying refer to it as really an evil time uh nothing nothing to be used as as a good time uh to be doing things yeah they alarmed, alarmed me two some things i get myself dressed ready it's kind of cool it's like the fall of the year as i can remember and uh, it's kind of cold outside who wants to get out of their bed in the middle of the night and go take a walk but nevertheless i did it probably possibly one of the best things that i have ever done in my life in terms of commune with God, commune with God within. I walk outside, now it's kind of cold and the, the cold air kind of hits me at three, and after I get over the initial cold, I notice the stillness, the quiet. So I'm walking, I'm walking, and I look up at the sky. The sky 
Notice that all of these in-depth, uh, in-depth spiritual experiences never happen with a Bible open or never are reflected on anything in Scripture. Notice that she's not appealing to Scripture for any of these uh, communication acts with God. She's only appealing to her feelings. And that is, of course, one of the first ways we can always identify that someone is not, of course, listening to the Lord is that they're not even going to Scripture. Yeah, and so she's demonstrating that over and over again. Yeah, does you know, doesn't she realize so, what she used against Satan, what Jesus used against Satan was all men should live on every word that comes from God's mouth. That's right. You know, so she's not So I want, I want to add Yeah. I want to add something in here. Uh, this account that she just gave um is almost the same account that you see of Sarah Young mm -hmm. in Jesus Calling. Uh, yeah. so I would, I would challenge, we won't get into that today, but I would challenge if you're listening to this, or if you do listen to this, listen to her account of going outside and her experience, and then compare that with Sarah Young's testimony at the beginning of Jesus calling, um, and, and just look at how many similarities there are. Yeah. You can't, uh, you might be able to like Christ, he, he withdrew himself into isolation um, but he didn't withdraw himself from his father's word. He had it. I mean, when you think about the commands from scripture that we're supposed to hide it in our heart, um, we're supposed to be with it. So we can't isolate ourselves from the word and promises and grace of, through that of God. Um, but what she is doing is totally isolating herself from everything and then defining the situation that she's in from herself. Yes. 3 a.m. sky, amazing. So I'm looking at the sky and I'm feeling this very amazing, powerful, I'm having a powerful experience and I walk and so still and so quiet it's like there's a blanket, like a hush over nature. You know, even the birds haven't started to chirp yet. Like around 4 or 5 they start chirping. The birds have everything asleep and it's so beautiful and so profound. Now I understood, when I took that walk, I understood why Christ frequently at that time went away. So when I shared with my healing partner, my husband at the time that I was going <laughs> to do his 4 a.m., wake up every morning. He wasn't too happy about that because he gets in bed like at 3 and I'm going to get up like an hour after that. So it was kind of a little, it was a misalignment. Neither one right or wrong, simply misalignment. So... So she, I, I want to mention something real quick. Mm -hmm. She's talking about all these things that she's doing. She's not talking about what Christ did. She got up and walked around. Jesus yeah. in Mark chapter 1, or, yeah, Mark chapter 1, uh, he early in the morning while it was still dark and departed and went to a desolate place and prayed. Luke chapter 4 verses 42 when they had departed and he went into a desolate place and people sought him and he kept them from leaving. He is going and he is praying when he is away. She has not mentioned any prayer or anyone she's praying for or anything she's praying about. It's simply I'm wanting some experience. I'm wanting some experience. And that is where we've got to be so cautious with these people. Mm -hmm. For 40 days, as you know, we are sharing and, and working things through. I'm going to do it for 40 days and see what happens. And then after that, I can decide to go further. So can you put up with me doing that for 40 days? <laughs> yes. Good. So I did it for 40 days and it was so good. And it was so delicious to my soul that I kept going. And I kept going. And I kept going. Every morning, waking up. At four o'clock in the morning, just slightly before four o'clock in the morning, and starting my prayer and meditation practice at four a.m. prayer and the practices that I was given as a as a minister in training and visions. And so for about two hours, so about six o'clock. That's right. I remember where I remember, and of course, 
uh, the scripture where it says very clearly about the qualifications of an elder. When it's talking about him in Titus and in 1 Timothy, it talks about how you should have visions. No, it does not. And so she has, again, elevated herself to this spiritual level that everyone who doesn't have these visions, they just obviously aren't doing the Christian faith right. Yeah. And that's where you're going to, again, see a crossover. Oh, yeah. And I think, I mean, uh, I'm sure Tim can connect that straight uh, to Bethel and to uh, Bill Johnson. Um, basically, I think he had a sermon on this. Um, where he basically says, if you do not kind of believe in this stuff, you're believing in a dis- different gospel. So like how I just utilized Paul's anathema, um, he uses it, but he uses it against people um, like us um, who say that this stuff is exegetically um, into, you know, you can't, you can't do this from the scriptures. Yeah. Seven days a week, every day, for months on end, maybe a year. I don't know, it was a very long time. In my mind, <laughs> that's not a long time to God, but in my mind, it was a long time. So I understood what that thing meant in that process of why Yeshua, the Christed one, when he was walking on the planet, the Christed one? Two, three, the Christed one. The Christed one. Where in scripture is Jesus ever called the Christed one? Uh, of course, Christ is Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. So, uh, just again, inserting some terminology that is completely foreign to the text of Scripture and using that as some uh, highly, uh, uh, I am a, of a greater spirituality because I use this special name. So, obviously, a first indication that she's not talking about the same Jesus is when she has to use terms that aren't employed by Scripture and aren't employed by other Christians. One thing I'll add, you know, it's very Gnostic in a sense that there's that secret knowledge that it gets you to that higher level yeah. of understanding of, of how things go around you. And it's interesting, I, I when I presented the paper on mysticism last year at the International Society of Christian Apologetics, um, one of the guys that was uh, in the presentation came up to me afterwards, and we began to talk, and, and he actually brought up that point. Uh, he came out of the vineyard movement, and uh, he's, you know, he said kind of the same thing. is Things are structured in a way where the kind of spiritual elite have these grand experiences, and if, if you're not having those experiences, then you're not as good as they are. And the problem is they, they pass those experiences on down to those underneath them, and, of course, they have to come up with new spiritual highs and experiences uh to stay elite so you have this constantly evolving um spirituality that looks for more and more and more uh for that elite group to kind of stay in control and you kind of see that with her too yeah before in the morning and was quiet and still now i only found that out because i got resistance and it was being mirrored to me from my own inner resistance of just not wanting to do it. The lazy, slothful aspects of myself. Truth be told, let's just tell the truth, okay? As they say, tell the truth and shame the devil. I believe in the devil. <laughs> okay, the stop right there. Yeah, she doesn't she believe in the devil. She says she does not believe in the devil. Now, I'm going to note, a little bit later on, she's going to talk about the book, A Course in Miracles, which is, of course, a three-volume set, which is basically a New Age manual, right? Uh, that, of course, is... Uh, widely dispersed and it mirrors a lot of christian language but one of the core teachings in uh, a course in miracles is that hell does not exist so here's a real problem 
She has recognized that the Bible also must err, which is also from A Course in Miracles. So the Bible must be lying when it's talking about Jesus being tempted uh, and those 40 days of temptation in Matthew's gospel. The Bible must be erring when it's talking about every single passage that mentions Satan. Therefore, she can easily do that and still call herself a Christian because you can pick and choose what you want. She doesn't believe in a literal hell. I think we lost you, Dave, for just a second there, but I'll uh, sort of pick up where you left off. Uh, you might need to get by your internet source and uh, just chime in whenever you get back in. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, she is, uh, I mean, just, just the basics, she doesn't believe in the devil. Um, Jesus had a conversation with him. He was uh, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and uh, he, um, t he was tempted by Satan. That was the first thing that he did after he was baptized and entered his ministry. And uh, so you can't believe that. But then again, um, if she believes that Jesus is the Christed one, um, and that comes from the same ideals of anything from Scripture, then was he? Was he a Christed one? Did he have this higher consciousness? We don't, if you don't know the devil, then we don't know anything about Jesus either. So he is calling me here. <laughs> Let me actually get back to him. This is going to be a very awesome technical episode. <laughs> I'll have to invite him here. Do you have anything to say about that, Tim? No, I think, you know, when when you begin to peel the layers back, you know, obviously this woman is not a Christian um, and she doesn't really have an understanding of what Christianity really is. And that's, you know, part of that is she came out of the cult. Um, she came out of Jehovah's Witnesses. So, you know, she thought she was a Christian before uh, in that cult. And so there's a lot of misguided teachings that she probably grew up with in that. And, you know, you got to understand that uh, she's she's really just ignorant to a lot of what Christianity is. And um, that plays a lot into the adoption of these other beliefs. And, and so, you know, that's another thing too, is, is as uh, we seek to evangelize people, we really need to understand where they're coming from and what they've come out of, because that's going to really determine how we should approach them and, and what we should tell them, you know, the gospel doesn't change. Uh, and we, we need to keep that pure and, and, and articulate it uh, scripturally uh, in a way that people can understand. But uh, we don't go and talk to the atheist the same way that we would go and talk to a Mormon. Uh, so, you know, we got to know who we're talking to when we go to share the gospel. And, and uh, you know, as she claims to be a Christian witch, uh, she's really just, you know, a, a spiritual person uh, that really doesn't have... Uh, you know, maybe it's witchcraft, if you want to call that her, her main religion. It's it's a lot of new age spiritualism uh, wrapped up in Christian terminology, which a lot of uh, a lot in the new age movement do it. Uh, you see uh, new age witches uh, claim the name of Christ all the time uh, and talk about Christ consciousness. We see that uh, in that Course in Miracles uh, talks about Christ consciousness. And, and so the, the, using terms that are, are Christian uh doesn't make her a christian uh and it's really easy to see once you start peeling back those layers yeah so dave what are you on do we have you i'm now? back by the way sweet we do have you all right i'm gonna continue i i finished up sort of your thought there dave hey thanks adam i'm glad you can do that and and so the the aspects of myself 
were in resistance to waking up early in the morning. I don't want to wake up early when I don't feel like it. Ooh, ego. I don't feel like it. Ooh, ego is all over that. So I started to... So ego is all over that, but saying basically that I am the I am is not egotistical. Right. And to, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's your authority? Why, why do you have to get up this early? I mean, what's, why, why do you feel the need to do this? Um, and, and ultimately it's, you know, she's chasing an experience. Uh, and because if she doesn't feel anything, then it's not real to her. So she has to continually chase this um, and, and try to experience something new. Or through it by doing it. That's how you just overcome resistance and fear. Resistance is nothing to fear. Because there's only fear and love in the universe. That's it. And fear ain't real. And love is the only thing that is real. So if you are... So in fear isn't that's real. A- so now we're in like Christian science right now. Yes, but that completely contradicts itself though. Yeah. Because she's like, there's only two things in the universe. Fear and love. But there is no fear. Yeah. So there's only one thing. Yeah, so, you know, which, right? what, what is it, you know, and if fear is an illusion, I mean, yeah, now we're getting into um, a different form of Gnosticism, um, again, getting into that uh, more modern uh, Christian science, pain isn't real, all that kind of stuff is just, uh, you're imagining it, you're basically now um, so cut off in your own individualism, you cannot explain. So basically coming up here on YouTube and trying to explain things to somebody else is um, a moot point because you're, you are you and other people are not you. And do you even know that they exist? So this is the absurdity now um, of that, of what she's talking about. She is so hyper into herself. She cannot get, she cannot reach out now. any kind of thing other than love. The thing that you're in ain't real, boo. It ain't real because only love is real. So the thing that I was swirling myself around in that was causing me to get resistance in my own world to the thing that would put me in the love every morning with God at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, that was something I made up. The ego made that up. So I just let that go. Like as soon as you see an illusion, would you keep playing with it or would you just let it go? You don't need that illusion anymore. It served its purpose, okay? I, I, it served its purpose for me to play with that for a little while to keep me out of my destiny. Maybe I was too afraid to live my destiny at that moment. So, you know, we, we invent all these wonderful things that would be trashes that keep us from living our destiny. So, okay, I got rid of that. And I, every morning, every morning, every morning. So, I understood. I, I, I was in Notice that she's the one getting rid of all these things. Yeah. These bad things, again, it hinges upon her. Her acts, what she's doing. Her power. You can see just the self-centered focus of this movement. This cannot be in any way considered Christian because nothing that we do that is spiritual is dependent upon us. It's on the Holy Spirit working in us. God is the one who receives the glory, not us. And so, again, we have this counter, uh, this completely counter ideology. We see it playing out. We hear it being vocalized. Yeah, and it's just really uh, contradictory to me. The one with the problem, trying to rid of yourself of your problem. Um, that's, you know, that's to me is the uh, the weird thing about uh, uh, going into a bookstore and going to the self-help section. Um, a person with, a, with the problem going in and going, which book do I read to fix myself? I think the point is that you can't. You don't know what you're doing and you need somebody outside of yourself to help you to see, um, you know, to, to take that 
you know, whatever spec out of your eye, somebody that has taken the log out of their eye first. Uh, again, we, we are, we're, we're in hyper individual mode and unfortunately in her world, uh, there will be nobody, um, but herself and she is herself her own problem. And so that's, again, we're, we're still in the absurd. With that. Understanding in the Christ's mind. And in the Christ's mind of understanding the waking up early in the morning and the, and the coming away and the prayers at three and four. When I studied that, I went back in the Bible, that wonderful magic book. I went back in, <laughs> pardon me, Christians are building like that. <laughs> you know, Christians don't like you saying stuff about the Bible. Woo! All right, the Bible never refers to itself as a magical book. In fact, Scripture continually recognizes itself as God-breathed, the Anustas. Uh, Peter said that the Bible was written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, scripture is never referred to by Jesus as... Um, as a magical book, it's referred to as God's word. He truly believed that it was written by uh, men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is never in all of church history ever been referred to as a magical book. This is a new ideology and a new jargon placed upon the text. And uh, it's, it's absurd. And of course, any Christian, anyone who fears God would fear the way that you would, again, nonchalantly joke around and redefine his words. That's what Satan did with Scripture in the temptation. One thing I'll add is that's, you know, that's another mark of mysticism. Uh, it's an esoteric reading of Scripture. And, uh, you know, we we see this a lot in a lot of other circles, um, which we'll get to down the road. But you know, she's looking to scripture as a magical text, and the only way that she can do that if she can isogete her own meaning into the text, uh, you know, and, and read it in in this in an in an esoteric manner where she can make the words mean what she wants them to mean or what she feels they might mean or what they mean to her. Uh, you know, that, that question of what does this text mean to you uh, without, you know, diving into the context and the original meaning uh, is, is almost the same thing as what she's doing. Forgive me. And so that's how I see the Bible as a magic book. Everybody gets to see the Bible the way they see the Bible. So for no, me, it's no. a beautiful book of magic and, and mystery and mysticism. No, everyone does not get so, to see the Bible the way they see the Bible. There is a correct, there is a true way to understand the Bible. Jesus identifies that to us very clearly when he says in Matthew 19, it is written. Or how about in mm -hmm. Matthew chapter uh, 4 in the temptation when he says to Satan, it is written. Uh, when he says in John, have you not read? These things are pretty stinking clear. And of course, there is a correct definition of scripture. There is a correct understanding of God's word. You can't just make it say whatever you want it to say. If you do so, you better be fearful. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says it is written. Matthew chapter 4, 7, it is written. And of course, he says in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, it is written. These were God's word. They were understandable. That's the presupposition of mm -hmm. anyone who fears the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. And one thing, too, to remember is, you know, when Paul writes to Timothy and he says that all scriptures breathed out by God profitable uh, for, for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, training in righteousness, uh, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Um, being breathed out by God 
you know, when you take into effect God's nature and character, God is all powerful. God is all knowing. Uh, God can do as he pleases in time and in space. Um, if an all powerful, all knowing God was going to communicate a message with us, uh, he would know the best time to communicate that yeah. in history. And he would have the power to communicate that effectively. And he would know the culture in which to communicate that so that the meaning could be preserved in the text. So, you know, when we go to study scripture, um, you have to acknowledge the context of it. Uh, where does it fit in, in relation to the rest of what you're reading? Where does it fit historically? How does it fit grammatically? And as you look through that, um, Knowing who God is, uh, we can have confidence that we can know what the original meaning uh, was. You know, not not to say that there aren't difficult texts, but you know, we can have a good, sound understanding of what God wants us to know. Mm-hmm. Went back in the Bible and I looked at all the places where they talked about the third watch of the night, the second watch of the night, the, the third and fourth watch of the night to the Romans, and the fourth watch of the night, I believe, to Jews, it was the third watch of the night at three a.m. to six a.m. time. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., right in that time. Now, if you look in the Bible, you'll find so many miracles that occurred at that time. That's the time Jesus walked on water. Um, <laughs> this one is horrendous, and I'm was sorry that the for, only one? for laughing, because I think he was going around all day, and uh, at whatever time, he was healing people. It wasn't specifically um, a dawn of the morning um, type of time. Like he was walking around during the day with crowds around him whenever he was going to um, go heal a girl, whenever he was touched by a woman. Um, two miracles happened at the same time, basically, um, during the day. So, you know, this is complete. She has no clue. She She may have literally read... The scriptures once like she said i read them once like we can might be able to take that literally um here's Jehovah's Witness here's one too, thing so. i will that i'll add to that is you know we can listen to this and obviously we laugh because you know that that statement in and of itself is ridiculous but when you think about the biblical illiteracy in our culture mm-hmm. um what she said to a lot of people is credible and they just take it as, as fact. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's the scary part is, is the Bible has not been taught faithfully um, and instilled faithfully in a lot of people's minds. And I'm talking churchgoers, you know, people that, because ultimately she's appealing to some that probably do go to church somewhere and that's think right. they're Christians and she's pulling them away from the truth and if they haven't taken time to study scripture, if they haven't been taught faithfully, if, if, if their church has just been about, you know, how to be a better you, they're eating this up thinking, oh, this makes total sense. And, uh, you know, it's really easy to kind of attack her. But, you know, you have to think about the, those on the other side that are yeah. being preyed on by her. And, you know, as you listen to this. Uh, you know, you're gonna, you might run into somebody that's that's dealing with this, and and if they're dealing with this, they've probably fallen prey to her or someone like her. And you know, we need to be very aware of uh, of that when we go to communicate with people like this, because if if they've fallen into this, and there is a clear uh, a clear notion that they they haven't studied it for themselves and they don't know the truth. So you know, we need to be very cautious. You know, we we attack it as false. But at the same time, you're attacking the teaching of the person. You're trying to get the gospel to that person. And we have to be very mindful of that.
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she's, again, we got to just realize her context is she's coming out of a Jehovah's Witness church. Um, they define everything for them and send you a magazine called The Watchtower, which tells you what you should believe. So really, just think about it. If you are inundated with a leadership that just goes, don't worry about it. Here's all you need to know in little snippets in a magazine. That's all you need. Just just listen to us. Don't worry about doing all the uh, major work yourself. Um, don't pick up commentaries. Uh, don't pick up the Greek text. Uh, you know, I, enjoy our interlinear. I've seen a Jehovah's Witness show me their JW interlinear, and I put it, pitted it against mine, um, and then use that as a way to talk about, say, John, um, you know, John 1, 1 through 5, anyway, with them. Um, you, they wanted to get technical with me, so um, as far as they could go, and so I went along with them just to talk, and, uh, but, you know, she's coming out of this um, it's defined for her. Um, we can see this in Roman Catholicism, really, too, is they just go, don't worry, the church has done this, don't worry about it yourself. Um, and so there's not a mentality to go to the scriptures anyway. Um, so maybe she picks something up, She, but I think what she's mostly dealing with is a bunch of hearsay, um, what she has just remembered from maybe sermons or conversations in the past, um, but she has not picked it up and studied it herself. And that's, I mean, that's the sad thing is now she's acting on it um, based on what she, how she wants to fit this all together um, at the same time not you know showing that she hasn't done her any homework or any serious uh, study um, to find out what she's saying and you know she's going to cause people to sin and it's better for somebody to tie a millstone around their neck and jump in the river than to cause people to sin and so we've got to look at her with compassion and be like she is in major, major, major sin. And so people need to speak into her life, the true gospel. So thank you, Tim, for uh, bringing that up. Yeah. And hey, um, I know that we have been on, we still got a lot of time on this, but uh, do we want to try to wrap it up by about 8.05? That way we've got a good yeah, we can do that. Uh, stopping place. Uh, yeah, I've got it on uh, 1.5 speed. Uh, we're at 12.37. It's 18.03. Gotcha. So. All right. Sorry, I won't stop as much. <laughs> that was um, the time that uh, Saul, when when, um, give me a when Saul was wanting to overcome an army, David was wa wanting to overcome the army with Saul. That was the time that he got the victory. Please forgive me if I don't have the details of that story. I'm gonna check that story and make a video about it. <laughs> I'm gonna check that story and make a video about that that watch of the night. So that 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. period of time, very powerful time. So Christ was always withdrawing at that time to pray, to meditate, to be with God. What does this have to do with naming power? This is what it has to do. No, it doesn't you give the exact Christ time. It never gives the exact time. It says early in the morning. Just needed to get that out there. Yeah. That you are Christ. That Jesus wasn't somebody that walked around this planet 2,000 years ago and, and is, didn't die on the cross. You know, that's the story. And, then, and he wasn't the only one that died on the cross. They killed lots of people on the cross. That's the way the Romans did things. You know, so it was nothing special about that. But I would tell you one thing. That I stopped wearing crosses that had Christ on it. Because if that... But there was nothing special about Christ dying on a cross. Yes, a lot of people died on crosses, but there was nothing special about Christ dying on a cross. So there's no understanding of atonement that's necessary. Um, there's no understanding about the sinfulness of man that is necessary. I mean, if, if there is nothing to die for, then Christ is unnecessary. Um, what she is proving that Christ is unnecessary even in her witchery.
Well, she communicates multiple things, again, that are found in the teachings of the Course in Miracles. This yeah. idea that Jesus and those who accept him are equal. Remember, she said essentially that you're Jesus. That, of course, comes from the Course in Miracles. Uh, and there's some, I could provide direct quotes for that. But likewise, she says, again, there's no real reason for the crucifixion except uh, essentially uh, Jesus died uh, to induce people to love one another. So Jesus' uh, death on the cross did not uh, take the wrath of God. It was not a substitute for the sins of people who were dead in their sins. And so, again, you cannot be a Christian when you deny the penal substitution of Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. Yeah, and I don't even see, like, you know, if, if he just died, like, how does that even mean anything out of love? What did he die for? Because um, if he wasn't dying to save people, then his death means nothing. And so there is no even definition of love that comes out of there because there has to be a reason for him to die to then be able to show people um, what, you know, what a definition of love is. Um, so, yeah, she's taken all meaning out of anything and everything that she is saying right now. So she's espousing every defeater. Um, you know, it's, it's very vague, but she's basically defeating herself right here. But I want my consciousness to uh, be stuck in that I want to imprint on my consciousness that he's still laying up there like that, dying. Or do I want in my consciousness to be imprinted the risen Christ? Come on now. Do you want the dead Christ on the cross emblazoned in your consciousness? Or do you want the risen Christ seated at the right hand of God, the, the fullness of love and light and victory over human death? It was the I want both. And I, I just want to interject this in real quick. I want both Christs. Um, there's the law and there's the gospel. There's the law that drives me to Christ. And then when I get to Christ, I see the Christ that is risen and sitting on the throne. Um, the, the Christ who has saved me. The Christ um, who has died. Again, you cannot take away these two. And I get in just in Christianity in general that we see, we see it, the focus upon the grace, um, but we cannot see grace unless if we see wrath first why does there need to be unmerited favor you know if there is no wrath that we need to be thinking about um, so law and gospel are two things that have to coexist in your teaching to mean anything if you take the wrath out of grace then grace is meaningless because if there was nothing wrathful then then there was no need for grace um, so which Christ do you want to remember? We've got to remember both um, works of Christ. Course in Miracles teaches us that the crucifixion was an extreme teaching lesson. You don't have to have that kind of extreme lesson if you simply get the message from it, get the accurate message from it, and then you will stop martyring yourself on the crosses of trying to please other people and the, and the crosses of trying to fit in and the crosses of religiosity. You'll stop crucifying yourself because you'll understand the true nature and the true essence of the crucifixion. Let's be clear. So, the true nature and the true essence of the Christian message, nothing she has said has ever in, in this entire diatribe ever even correlated with a biblical understanding of Christianity. Mm -hmm. There has not been one statement that she has made that has correlated with any foundational truth of the Christian faith. So just want to point that out there before I laugh myself to death. Yeah. Thank you, Spirit. Christ gives you the power to name yourself. 
You can name yourself Christian. You can name yourself Christian shaman. You can name yourself Christian witch. You can name yourself Christian magician. You can name yourself Buddhist Christian. You can name yourself Muslim Christian. You can name yourself Christian uh, atheist. Maybe there's a Christian atheist. So I wanna. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I just wanted to let it all off. Yeah. So, as I was reading a while ago, uh, I was talking about uh, psychological illusions around that time because of uh, heightened heightened melatonin in the body uh, causes sometimes illusions at that time of, of, of night between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. So, uh, maybe she's just uh, hallucinating. Yeah. Just what, whatever <laughs> it is, you know, and I mean, it's it's self-induced. Again, Romans 1, 18 through 34. Um speaks into everything um they have um mankind has traded the truth for a lie and worshiped the creature instead of the creator and again this is using christianity to worship oneself or at least whatever definition that you want to use for a uh, word christianity and it's 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 sad because this has no semblance to anything that's going to save you um, this is just you living as yourself. Notice she's not talked about anything in the future. It's just here right now. Um, sadly, she's going to die someday. And all of her incantations are not going to save her. And ultimately, they there will be nothing for her. She will probably say, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I uh, cast out demons in your name? She's going to, and Christ is going to say, I, I never knew you. Um, because and really, it's because you really never knew me. Um, you you blinded yourself because you know from your you know you blinded yourself with yourself is basically um, her judgment, and so that's driving me to you know it, this is sad, and and we should hopefully if you have a renewed, regenerated heart, um, you don't see this and sit back and laugh at her as some psychotic woman. You sit back and go, look what sin has done. Look what she does in her sin. And she needs to be talked to and loved on with the, within the truth of what love is. There's right a Christian on. atheist somewhere that believes in Christ but don't believe in God. Hey! You know, do you? It doesn't matter. Here's what matters. What matters is, does that thing that you're doing, does the naming power, does the, the, the belief that you're in, or the, what you choose to latch your mind onto, does it feed you, serve you, keep you in the love, or not? There's only two kinds of feelings. Either it feels good or it don't feel good. Either it's a positive feeling or it's a negative feeling. If it's a positive feeling, go toward that. So if it feeling, feels good, good then that's feeling. what you're supposed to do. The ultimate good is what feels good. Okay, well, so let's let me uh, tell you Dexter. something. For an example, Alcoholism yeah. kills people. Mm -hmm. Drug overdoses kill people. STDs are real. All of these are consequences of doing whatever feels good whenever you want. And, and this is where it gets just completely absurd. No Christian, no one in ever and ever who is considered a church father or who has been considered a theologian would give you a similar view. Notice she quotes no scripture. This is all her opinion and what she wants. Again, nothing Christian here. Yeah. And she just contradicted herself again because it wouldn't a negative feeling be a fearful feeling which doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, Tim? I didn't know if you were breathing, Tim. 
and we are literally going to get closer to home. So as we uh, get there, you'll find out um, because we don't know how long this is going to take to uh, and what kind of twists and turns we're going to take and what we're going to find in our research and what comes up um, as it's going along because uh, this is sort of a um, uh, researched on the fly um, thing and I thank you Dave for starting us off on this and Tim thank you so much uh, for being with us on this and especially your researching expertise on the uh, big general matter um, and thank you for being along with us on the on the particulars as well guys yeah, glad to be here I, I love getting to work with you both uh, such an amazing thing I know we could talk all night uh, we're headed in the right direction on this, and I'm grateful for it, and uh, glad we're correcting him. And if you are listening, watching, uh, be sure to give us feedback on iTunes. Uh, we want to ask you to try, if you know or are connected to Valerie Love, connect us with her. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to debate her. We would love to create a debate. In fact, we would make sure that we could get to that first ever uh, conference, and we would be happy to debate there. So, yeah. all right, I got to let you guys go. All right, well, you have a good night, Dave, and I'll close out there. Or I guess, Tim, if you want to go, you can go, and I'll just close out the show real quick. All right, sounds good. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Sounds good. See you then, man. See you. All right, everybody. Well, that was the Tag Your It podcast, and we had Dave and we had Tim. Again, uh, next week on the 25th, we'll be having the Lord's Supper debate, so uh, come back uh, for that. That will be at our normal 6 o'clock time um, next Monday night, and that is Central Time. Um, but, yeah, like us on uh, Facebook, like us on Twitter, give us uh, reviews and all that stuff so that this uh, message, especially um, – I don't know who else is dealing with Christian mysticism and witches and all that kind of stuff. Um, so get this stuff out there so that uh, people can hear it. Other than that, I'm Ray Ray. This is the Tag Gear Podcast and Soli Deo Gloria.